Welcome to Commission. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman. And I'm Jed Robine. In each episode, we will talk about the gospel of the kingdom, declaring God's heart for the restoration of Israel and all the nations. So join us as we together explore the mysteries of the one new man. Welcome to the Commission Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Eric, today we're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts. You know, the last episode, we really framed up our experience together that we had when we were in Israel in March of 2019 and what we experienced there as we worshiped together with Jewish believers, Arab Christians, and then a whole host of international believers that came from lots of different nations to worship Jesus in Jerusalem. Yes. We experienced reconciliation, healing, repentance, joint worship, amazing fellowship, and you Mm -hmm. and I really walked away from that feeling like, wow, the Lord's kind of launching you and I into a messenger ministry where we Mm -hmm. we talk about the one new man. We talk about Jewish believers and Gentile believers, the the ecclesia, the church, the identity of the church, and how that identity is formed and shaped inside of Israel mm-hmm. <laughs> and how these dynamics play out. And just to help provide some clarity for people that are interested in these topics and growing in their understanding of the scriptures. Amen. Um, and so today's episode, we want to actually take a step back in 2,000 years of human history, church mm-hmm. history, and go back to really Shavuot, you know, Pentecost, that first outpouring of the Spirit when Jesus... The the church is born and Jesus commissions his people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And I think if we can better understand what happened 2,000 years ago, it's going to help us get a handle on what's happening today around the world. And and so we want to really lay a foundation for our listeners to be able to walk with us into what we we mean when we say the one new man. What Mm -hmm. do we mean when we say Israel? What do we mean when we say the commonwealth of Israel, the sure. family of God? There's a lot of different biblical terms. And so there's a lot of, understandably, some questions and confusion that can arise in people's minds as we start walking down this trail together. And so, again, our heart is to create a safe space for sure. people to engage and, and process what they're, what they're learning and what we're talking about. So. Yeah. Eric, I don't know if you want to say a few words before we get rolling here on today's episode. Well, I like your idea of going back to the church history and the beginning, really Pentecost, when the church was born. You know, if we look at the ministry of Jesus before that time period, and, you know, he made these, he made these comments to, to his followers, to the Jewish people. He said, I didn't come except for the lost sheep of Israel. And all of his work up to that point was focused on Israel, all of it. All of his disciples were Jewish. All of the cities that he went to were of his own people, it says. He sent his disciples out early on just to to preach to the Jewish people and to the various communities throughout Israel. But then there was something that changed. And after the resurrection and before the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost— Jesus has spent now these 40 days very close, closely with his disciples. And we, we don't really know all the conversations that took place, but we know there must have been a lot of discussion going on about the kingdom. I mean, they were asking Jesus about the kingdom of God before he ascended. And they were right. asking him about that when he was up on the Mount of Olives. And they, they were always asking him about the kingdom. Are you now going to restore the kingdom 
to Israel? Is it now the time? And Jesus said to them, he says, don't worry about the time because I've got some work for you to do. And so he spends his 40 days with them. And right before his ascension and right before he sends them to Jerusalem for the 10 days to go up and spend that time in the upper room, he says to them, you're going to be my witnesses. And not just throughout the Jewish people, the, the land of Israel, but you're going to be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. Right. And at that moment, and this was this was a change for the Jewish people, because if you, if you look at their history, you, you will not find anywhere in the books of Moses or anywhere in the, in the prophecies or any of the writings of the Old Testament where God says to the Jewish people, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in all of the earth. He, he's never, he never, in fact, he said, in fact, he said the opposite. He says, you are to remain separate from the nations around you. You are not to make covenants with them. You are not to intermarry with them or give your sons to their daughters or take their daughters for your sons. You have a law that keeps you effectively separated from your surrounding Gentile nations. But all of a sudden, Jesus says to them, you're going to be my witnesses in, in the whole earth, and you're going to go out and you're going to be a light to the nations. You're going to share the good news of the kingdom. You're going to share the message of salvation, and not just with the Jews, but with every tongue and tribe and kindred, spirit and nation and people on the face of the earth. And at that moment, God establishes the calling, as Paul says, irrevocable and without repentance, irrevocable calling for the nation of Israel for the Jewish people. Mm. I think it's such a key point. Um, I would just add Isaiah 49, where, where God actually calls Israel and says, You'll be, you, you are, you're called to be a light to the nations. You're my yes. servant. Right. You know, and this is, I like to think of it like this, and I don't know, you know, feel free to, you know, comment on this, Eric, but, you know, Levi is a tribe within the nations of Israel, and right. they're called as the priestly tribe to teach, really to teach the other 11 tribes. Mm-hmm how to walk with God and what the worship practices are to look like. And, you know, Malachi, mm-hmm. one of the one of the charges that the Lord brings against the Levites is that he says, you were to be teachers of my word and you've shown partiality. Right. And so he's holding them accountable because he's called Levi as a, as a teaching tribe, a priestly tribe to educate the other 11 tribes on how to walk with God. And, yeah. and God's upset that Levi has the Levites have shown partiality. They, they've upheld certain aspects of the law at the expense of others because they're uncomfortable or for whatever the reason is, um, and the Lord's holding them accountable to that. So in much the same way as Levi is the priestly tribe to the nations of Israel, Israel is called to be the priestly, priestly tribe, tribe to, to the, the nations, nations. That's and hence right. this identity of you're, you're going to be a light to the nations and, and this amazing calling. That's right. Uh, really, of stewards of God's revelation, yes. um, His Word, His laws, mm-hmm. um, His ways taught to Israel, and then Israel is teaching those right. to the nations, and even Jesus saying, "You know, go and you're going to you're going to disciple the nations. That's right. Go out with this Word and, and disciple them and teach them how to how to walk with Me." And that that verse from Isaiah is it's, and it's an interesting verse because when you know reading the context of of that scripture verse. It's, it's very clear, to me anyways, that that verse actually applies to the Messiah. For sure. And he's talking, you know, God is talking about this anointed one, this Messiah is going to come, and he is going to free the captives. He's going to be this light to all the nations. That They're going to run to him. They're going to come to his, his light, and he's going to free them from their, their bondage. And 
Paul later in, in the book of Acts actually uses that verse in part to refer to himself and Barnabas. He says, for God has so called us to be a light to the nations. And so there's there's something that God transfers of the, the mantle, the anointing, and the calling from Jesus, from Yeshua, as that verse in Isaiah clearly points to. God then now saying, or Jesus saying, just like he did on right before he ascended, I'm taking my mantle, my commission to be a light to the nations. I'm giving it to you, the Jewish people. And now you are going to walk in my light to be a light to the nations. It's a calling is really what, what it is. And that verse that you're talking about in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 6, you know, I, like you, I, I always love thinking about, you know, wow, Jesus is on the earth for 40 days uh-huh. as a, in a resurrected body. And he's teaching. Yes. And we only have record of the one question right. that the disciples ask, which is very specific, actually. Lord, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's right. And so it begs the question, well, you know, if God is done with Israel, as lots of people have assumed or believed yes. over the years and centuries, this would have been a perfect time for Jesus to absolutely clarify. Yes. And so you would think that if he was done with Israel, he would have said something like, you know, guys... Did, did you not just see that, that they rejected me? Right, And right. I'm taking my glory and I'm going to give it to the Gentiles because I'm, I'm really tired of Israel. Right. Um, they had their chance and I'm done. Right. Um, we're moving on, guys. But he doesn't do that. He says, instead, the Father alone knows that time. That's right. In other words, the Father alone knows the time that the kingdom will be restored to Israel. Right. And like you pointed out, for you, you will be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so we have this amazing commissioning of the the Jewish ambassadors right mm-hmm. away here. And really, I also want to highlight, you know, as the Gentiles are not yet in the picture right. um, chronologically, but in God's heart, they've been referenced a couple times by Jesus. For example, mm-hmm. John chapter 10, Jesus tells his Jewish disciples, there's another sheepfold yes. that I have to go to. Yes. And you all don't know about it, but I'm going to bring that sheepfold in. That's right. And there'll be two sheepfolds, but one shepherd, and there'll mm-hmm. be one flock. That's right. And so he's made these allusions. He makes another allusion in mm-hmm. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, Yes. where he's praying to the Father, and he says, you know, I'm not just praying for these that believe right now, but right. for all who would ever believe. Well, he says all flesh even. He's actually talking about exactly. all humanity. That's right. And so his his heart for for his passion for mm-hmm. all of humanity being brought into the story is evidence as we look back. Yes. But I, I think we need to underline, to your point, in the Jewish understanding, this was new revelation. Brand new revelation. And Absolutely I think that new. will help us understand, you know, where we're really going today in our episode is really want to look at That's right. the the transference of the gospel from the Jewish world mm-hmm. and its first kind of dip into the Gentile world and the story of Cornelius and Peter that's found in Acts chapter 10. Yes. Well, Peter, you know, Peter was under, again, not only the law of Moses, like I referenced earlier, that there was this this law from God to not, to, to not connect with any of the Gentile nations. And it's interesting that the Lord uses the description of marriage to just to essentially create this sense of isolation or separation from those Gentile nations, because it was actually through the covenant of marriage that other families would be joined to Israel, to the Jewish people. In other words, when 
a family, a Jewish family would go out and they would look for a daughter of a Gentile nation and that daughter would come and marry their son, they were now in covenant relationship with that family and vice versa, of course, when, you know, if they took their their son and, and allowed him to go out and marry, then as soon as they married, there was a covenant relationship. So this is all about covenant relationships. Mm. That's really the reason I'm, I'm pointing that out. And, and God uses, again, the picture of marriage to describe this covenant relationship that he has, not only with Israel, but now he's beginning to expand the picture to show us that he actually also has a plan to have a covenant relationship with the Gentile nations. But Peter is still under the law of Moses, at least in his mind. He's still, right. He hasn't been freed yet from the law of Moses. And not only that, in addition to the law of Moses, the Jewish people during the Roman invasion of Israel passed very strict edicts and laws, not only prohibiting Jewish people from intermarrying, but they went beyond. You couldn't even go to the house of a Gentile. You couldn't go in their house. You couldn't eat with them. You couldn't touch their food. You became not only ritually and spiritually unclean and impure, but you could face some serious, serious legal consequences if you actually violated those Jewish laws. So it was a big deal when Peter says, Lord, you know that I've never broken any of your laws mm. or any laws to go into the house of a Gentile. He's taking this pretty seriously. I think that that's such a, a key point historically to, for us to understand Acts chapter 10 and some of the underlying power in what the Holy Spirit's saying through that chapter, through the story, um, the relationship between Rome and Israel, there's no love lost. No. Um, no. And historically, there's always been, you know, like you, you pointed out, some prohibitions against intermarriage, Yes, uh, uh, an identity of the Jewish people being separate and distinct from the nations, mm -hmm. set apart right. for God's work and being commanded to stay separate. But you also now have this Roman occupying force in Israel mm -hmm. who hate the Jews. Right. They hate the God of the Jews for the most part. Right. And they are viewed as an oppressive regime enforcing upon the Jewish people their belief system and trying to subjugate Israel into obedience to Caesar. And so there's... I guess my point is just saying there's a lot of tension mm -hmm. underneath this relationship, and that's why I love this story so much. Right. And so as we pick up in Acts chapter 10, I want to introduce one of my favorite characters, who is Cornelius, mm -hmm. which is, he is a remarkable man, and if you're a Gentile listening to our podcast today, uh, really, he is the root of the Gentile church. Mm -hmm. um, he's the first fruits. And yeah. as we consider why God selected this man, I think there's some uh, instructive elements in his story that would inform us to understand why God valued Cornelius's faith to the degree that he does. And so we, what we don't, we don't know much about Cornelius other than he's a centurion, which mm -hmm. means he's, he's basically over 100 men. Mm. He's a leader. He's a warrior. Uh, he has some authority and clout in the army that's there in Israel. Uh, he has the respect of the Jewish people. We know that because the contingent of Jews that go, that he dispatches from his house, that we'll hear about in a minute, that go to Peter, actually tell Peter that he's worthy. Mm -hmm. right. um, he's done some good, some good things. Um, we know he's praying. When we meet Cornelius, he's actually in a prayer meeting in his, mm -hmm. in his home, in his courtyard, and he's praying at the time of the, of the evening prayers when Israel's praying. That's right. And so an, God dispatches an angel 
angel comes and interrupts the prayer. It says, Cornelius, your alms and your, your giving and your alms and your prayers have arisen before God as a memorial. Mm-hmm. And you know, God is now going to tell you, he's, I'm here to tell you, God wants you to send a detachment of people to go find Simon Peter, and he's at Simon the leather worker's house, Simon the tanner's house. And so an amazing thought, you know, that our prayers and our giving, number one, God is paying attention to what we do. That's right. What we do in secret, God actually is recording. And whatever Cornelius has done, he ha- God has been watching this man. His eye has mm-hmm. been upon Cornelius to the extent that he's just earned his favor. God really likes him. says, this is, this is a man after my heart. That's right. And it says of Cornelius that he feared the God of Israel. Yeah. So here's a Roman who, in his culture, they hate the Jews. This man has aligned himself with the Jews, mm. and he's actually giving alms, and he's praying according to the Jewish custom of prayer. So somehow... I think it would be right to assume that Cornelius has an affinity for the God of Israel here. He's, he, he fears God. That's right. That means he's aware that God is God. Yes. <laughs> and he's taken stock of who he is, and he's aligned himself with the God of Israel here at, to the extent that he has understanding at this time in his life. Mm-hmm. But it's enough to motivate the Lord to send an angel. And then the scene shifts. These men, he sends men out to go to Simon the leather worker's house. And then the scene really shifts to Peter on the roof here in prayer at lunchtime. And that's when I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Eric, as you can talk about what's going on in Peter's world simultaneously. Right. So Peter is seeing, he has this vision and he sees a net coming down from heaven with all of these unclean animals. And I think it's pretty clear that, you know, of course, I think if I recall, he had even been fasting. And so Yes, he was hungry, but I don't think he was envisioning lunch coming down from heaven. So <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious to me anyways that God was showing him pictures of what he would have viewed as unclean things. Right. And those unclean things in his mind, at least what God's trying to clarify and clear up for Peter, is in his mind right now he views the Gentiles still as unclean. And so he and, he and so he tells the Lord, and the Lord says, "Here, kill and eat." And the and he says, to the "Lord, Lord, you know I've never defiled myself with any of these unclean things." Right. And he wasn't again talking about animals. He says, "I've never, in other words, gone out and spent time in the home of a Gentile and hung around those who are unclean because I would have become also unclean." And so you know, again, three times he he has to hear from the Lord. He's, you know, we're we're stiff necked people, so I'll take I'll take credit <laughs> for that one. So three times he's got to hear from the Lord, no, you're not getting it. And then he finally realizes, and he says, oh, Lord, you know, it, I should not call those who you call holy common. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that he, he doesn't even use the word unclean because in reality, the, the, the sanctification or the separation is not between necessarily the clean and unclean. It's between the holy and common. Mm-hmm. In other words, the world is just made up of common things. And within the world, there are certain things that God has established and deemed as holy. But he, here, clearly, Peter now has this understanding that God has made the Gentiles holy, mm. just like the Jewish people are holy. So good. And God is setting Peter up in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to look at in the story that I really think is, you know, just causes me to love God. Mm-hmm. So right when he gets this, he, he finally hears the Lord say, you know, don't call 
you know, common what I call holy. Don't call unclean that which I call clean. He hears a knock at the door, and there's mm-hmm. these men, and Peter knows, okay, I need to go with these men. God right. has prepared me. So he, he obeys and he goes. And I think it's important for us right now to just pause, because in the gospel, you know, Paul talks about how we are actually enemies of God. Mm. While we were enemies, he died for us. Right. And so, you know, God causes the messenger to become the message. Mm. And here he's taking Peter, and he's not just going to send Peter to his buddy's house, who he has dinner with every week to preach. He, he is sending Peter into a, the, you know, cross-cultural engagement where this is your enemy's house, Peter. I want right. you to get a message here. Mm. I love... For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right? That's right. We, we were far away. He came to us while we were sinners. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this beautiful way here where God is causing Peter to walk in righteousness that he wouldn't have chosen on his own thinking. God has brought revelation to him and is causing him to go to love someone that he normally wouldn't love. Right. And that's a way of God that is in this story where really the Jewish world is getting ready to hand the Holy Spirit to the Gentile world and invite the Gentile world into life with God. Right. And it, it's an enemy's house. And so Peter's on his way. And here's, here's another point. When he gets there, Cornelius actually, it says he falls down and starts to worship Peter. Mm-hmm. And I think this is instructive for us too. You know, I've uh, been connected with various streams in the Messianic Jewish world now as a Gentile for about 15 plus years now. And I've encountered what I kind of call a romantic sentimentality uh-huh. in the Gentile church towards Israel, right? where we get infatuated with Jewish things. Mm-hmm. And in a way, we, we want to connect, and we do a little bit what Cornelius does here, which is, wow, this is amazing. You know, I, I want to connect to you. Right. And Peter rightfully just corrects and says, look, man, get up. <laughs> uh, worship, worship God alone. That's right. You know, the gospel, this is God's story, and there are Jews in it, and there are Gentiles in it, but mm-hmm. this story is about the Messiah. That's right. And it's about directing our affections towards him first. Yes. And so I love that that's included in this story here where there's a, a you know, a gentle, loving reminder mm-hmm. as Peter's getting ready to minister to Cornelius of just having a, the right focus in our hearts. That's right. As the Jewish world and the Gentile world come together. Yeah. And, and on that, you know, as you were, as you were sharing, I was reminded, and we were talking about this earlier, that, you know, Peter has to get three times this vision from God before he finally gets the revelation. And of course, we know later on, he gets rebuked by Paul for mm. essentially treating the, the Gentiles dis, disproportionately. In other words, he was disingenuous. He would treat the Jews one way, and then he would shun the, the Gentiles when the Jews came into the room. So he gets called out for that. So imagine, so for a moment here, we're trying to understand, we're going back in time, and we're trying to understand what's going on culturally within Israel right. during this time period. So they're under, like you said, this invasion of this enemy, this hostile invading army from Rome. They have these centurions like Cornelius that are positioned all around the country to essentially keep the, the Roman law in order. 
And, you know, you've got the religious, you know, high priest, you've got Herod, you know, you got all of these things going on. The Jewish people and the Jewish believers, especially during that time, they did not understand their calling to the, to the Gentiles. And so if Peter has to get a vision three times from the Lord before he finally goes to the house of Cornelius, what's going on in the background with the other hundreds and thousands of Jewish believers in and around Jerusalem and Judea? Are they suddenly taking on this mantle to go out and preach to these hostile Gentiles that have invaded mm-hmm. their country? And I think the answer is probably not. Right. I think probably they were kind of hunkered down in their homes, in their synagogues, probably bringing their friends and family together to break bread and take communion and do their sanctification and services and prayers. But I doubt that many of them were just sort of getting up and going, hey, let's go hang out with the Gentiles because they've invaded our country and we love the Romans. You know, that's just probably not in their frame of thinking. So, I mean, everything about Peter's actions are contrary to what we would do from our human nature. I mean, completely contrary to that. And yet it took God showing up three times in a vision Mm. to convince Peter of that. And as far as we know, he was probably the very first emissary that God chose and anointed to go to a Gentile. And then the Holy Spirit actually falls. It says, while the words were still in his mouth, the Holy Spirit fell. So he didn't even finish delivering the message. Correct. And they're all on the floor getting filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Peter's looking at this scene going, oh my and now we, and then he gets this next revelation of, oh, the Holy Spirit is coming to the Gentiles also. And he is completely blown away by what he experiences. I think, you know, what you just said is such a key part of our understanding to grapple with the reality of, in the Jewish world at that time, the, the, the walls were so thick in terms of you know, this is a, the story was just about Israel. Right. And the understanding and the, there were laws that supported that understanding. And there were ways and entire cultures and families. And you have so much reinforcement around that separation. That's right. And then in one moment, God just breaches that wall. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I'm going. And to your point, it wasn't like, and this is something I love about God. In other stories too, you know, we want to put people through, you know, lots and lots of teaching and education before we would classify them, mm-hmm. qualify them as ready for God. That's right. Here's Cornelius. Peter's not even done preaching, and Cornelius is baptized. Basically, I just look at it. God loves this man and wanted to hug him. <laughs> his whole household gets saved. That's right. You know, you have Jesus ministering to the demoniac who gets in his right mind and basically says, I'd like to follow you. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, no, it's enough. You go on back home and tell your village what God did for you. That's right. You know, in other words, like, He's ready to be a minister. He was a Mm -hmm. demon-possessed man an hour ago. After he meets Jesus, Jesus says, go tell the story. That's right. Or the woman at the well. You know, she's got five husbands. Jesus tells her a few things, a couple of words of knowledge about her life, and she's on fire uh, for love for him. Here's a prophet that's told Mm -hmm. me everything I've ever done. That's right. And she goes, she's she's commissioned right then to represent the kingdom. Mm. Um, The testimony of what God does in our lives is anointed. And, you know, we want to put barriers around people. And I think God wants to encounter and love them and Amen. blow their minds Amen. Uh, in his goodness and his love and mercy over their lives. Amen. Yeah. So we're at this amazing juncture in the point where um, 
as we kind of bring this episode to a close. We've covered some amazing ground here, but it sets us up. In the next episode, we're going to look at really the, the one new man, the birth of the church here, and some of the issues that, that they grappled with and that affect the conversations that we're having today here 2,000 years later with the dynamics that are going on in the family of God around the world. So thanks for joining us. On behalf of Eric Tottleman, I'm Jed Robine. God bless you. If you have enjoyed this podcast from Permission, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our ministry websites. We pray the Lord richly blesses you, and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.